This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the book, Not Forgotten, Kenneth Bay tells the true story of his imprisonment in a North Korea prison camp in 2012. Sentenced to 15 years, Bay withstood torture, grueling work, and failing health. His plight quickly gained international attention, and the fight to bring him home began. Bay lives to tell the story of the people of North Korea, how they suffer under a brutal dictator, and his determination not to let them be forgotten. Bay's love for God and humanity shines in Not Forgotten, available everywhere now. The perfect gift for Father's Day. Sometimes you will hear an old song on the radio, or you'll see a picture of you and your childhood. And lately, more and more, I've begun to think, oh man, if I could just go back when things were simpler. But they weren't. This is the time of the year that we used to have butterflies in our stomach. This is the time of the year where we made memories. This is the time of the year where we discovered new things and who we were as we ran out the front door and our moms shouted out after us, just be home by dark. I want to start there, the summer of hope, right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Pat and I talk about this an awful lot because I come in in the morning and I'm either listening to Muse or I'm listening to Frank Sinatra or sometimes I'm in the mood for the 70s or the 80s and I listen to that. And this week with Ronald Reagan, uh, the anniversary of Ronald Reagan's uh, uh, death, I, I've thought a lot about Ronald Reagan. I've thought about the 1980s and, and the feelings that I had at that time. And so we oftentimes think that things were simpler when we were a kid. When you hear that favorite song or that song that takes you back to a certain feeling and a certain moment in time where you can see the room or you can see the girl. It brings us back to a time when the greens and the reds and the blues are Kodachrome. Kids are now in summer vacation. And do you remember the week before summer vacation? Do you remember what that felt like? Do you remember just sitting in the classroom and looking outside and everything was winding down And you just knew, I'm finished, and summer is here. And then at the end of summer, the anticipation of new school clothes, and I remember the new peaches and the new uh, pencils and and, uh, pens for school. In the summer, friends playing until the sun went down and the slam of the front porch screen door as you were running out to join them. Summers 
were a time of discovery. The girl, the girl you kissed for the first time, or the girl you wanted to kiss for the first time, your first love. I thought about this a lot last, last week while I was on vacation with my kids, and again this week because of the serial that we're running in hour number two about Ronald Reagan. Last week, I said to my wife, because the kids were outside playing, and I said to my wife, oh, if I could just go back to those days when we were kids, they were better and they were simpler. But they weren't. They really weren't. It's that we were kids, and if our parents were doing their job, they protected us from all of the scary things out in the world, just as we do right now. And there's a difference between the perspective of a kid and the perspective of somebody who's now done it for 40 or 50 years. I don't know about you, but I never expected to live past 30. I didn't think there was life after 30. You just became old. And you could do anything when you were a kid. Your whole world was ahead of you. Your whole, everything you thought of was, it's not going to be like that when I'm in charge. I'm not going to be a parent like that, or I'm not going to go to the office like that. And nothing would stand in your way because you didn't really understand what the world was really like. And by the time you hit 40 or 50 or 60, you're pretty worn down. And if, if you're not lucky, you haven't realized it along the way, that it is all in your attitude. Come to me like a child really means come to me still asking why, how, how does that work? Still looking at things with wonder. Today, my daughter is going to have my second grandchild. And I thought an awful lot about when I was about to have my second child and how afraid I was to have my second child because there's no way I could love this child as much as I love my first child. There's no way. And I don't want to have favorites. And... Man, one is one, two is 20. How are we going to do that? I'm never going to sleep again. Now that I'm on the other side of it, I know all of that was nonsense. Last week when I was on vacation, Cheyenne came to me Wednesday or Thursday. And for the first time in a few days, the email and the internet was on and email downloaded and we could get online so we live up in the mountains and she said dad i've downloaded the news i want to read it to you and i said no 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 no, honey she said why don't you want to know what's going on and my answer was less than a hundred percent true i said you know honey daddy sees it every day and nothing really changes and i'll see it when i get home The rest of the truth was more simple than that. I didn't want her to see what was happening today around the world. I wanted her to live in summer. 
As crazy as the world is and as hard as it might be for us to believe, our children are going to remember this summer as one of the best summers of their life. They're going to discover all those things that we did. If we do our job right, I found a picture of me. I posted online last week. It was 1970. I was six years old. And it was of me on this rusty boat that was on the coast of Washington State, this little teeny boat, all rusted out and made kind of a place where kids could climb on it. And I had my dog, my collie, his name was Prince. This picture's from a little town on the water, just about 40 minutes from our house in Mount Vernon, Washington. And we rented a little cabin a few blocks away from the beach, and it was a very rare vacation for us. But this picture came from a time when it was printed on the side, And it said, July 1970. What I didn't know then, I remember, I remember that boat. And I remember this being a magical summer. We didn't go on vacation very much because my dad was, my dad was always working. And I knew we didn't have a lot of money, but what I didn't know the summer of 1970 was my dad's business was failing. My dad's business was really struggling. What I didn't know that summer of 1970 was there was a really nasty war that was going on. What I didn't know was the year before we had riots in the streets In the last two years before that summer of me on the boat, Martin Luther King was shot. Malcolm X was killed. RFK was killed. The world was on fire. Cities were burning to the ground. The weather underground was full action. Nixon and Watergate were just around the corner. But there I was on my boat. I was a child, and I was doing my job. I was doing childish things. For that one week in that summer of 1970, I remember it. Me and my dog, we were on that ship, and we fought the pirates, and we explored the world, sailed the seven seas, just a boy and his dog, just as it should be in the summer. We are at a point now, I did an audience show yesterday, and there were some Trump supporters in the audience, and they said, how come you can't get on board? They said, it's just your hatred for Donald Trump. And I said, it's not, I don't hate Donald Trump. I have passionately stood up for what I believe. But I don't hate Donald Trump. I really don't. 
We're at that point, and if you've listened to me for a long time, you know I have said this time is coming, that there's going to come a time when we've run out of exits. And I told you this last fall, before Donald Trump, before any of us thought Donald Trump was going to do anything, this may be our last exit. We have to choose carefully. But the good news, I said back then, the good news is look at how many great candidates we have. I can't. I can't see a happy ending with Donald Trump. Even worse, I don't see a happy ending with Hillary Clinton. And just as bad, I don't see a happy ending with a third party. There is no good choice. It's why I'm not telling you. Others have. It's why I'm not telling you I condemn you for voting for Donald Trump. It's why I'm saying don't condemn those who do vote for Donald Trump and don't, conven- don't condemn those who don't vote for Donald Trump. Don't condemn those Democrats who vote for Hillary Clinton while holding their nose because they're doing the same thing that many people have chosen to do with Donald Trump because they think the other one is bad but just a little better than their candidate. We're at a place to where we've passed all the exits, and there's a bridge ahead of us, and there is no good answer. I saw that they're now talking at the GOP that it looks at least this week, it could change again, but I saw the list of the governors and the senators and the congressmen that is growing, that is now, they're now saying, I I can't do it. And so now they're starting to talk about the convention They have to go in and write the rules, just like they always do. But there are so many people, 65% of the GOP, 65% of those who are writing the rules say, he's not a GOP candidate. I can't do it. A a large number of the delegates who are assigned to Donald Trump are saying, I can't do it. So last night I took to Facebook and I said, I have to be consistent because I believe this is right. I said at the beginning, you can't change the rules. You can't do something dramatically. Yes, technically you can change the rules. Technically, this is their job. The rules committee gets together and they put together the rules right before the convention. That's the way it always happens. And there's a movement now to make sure that they unbind all of the delegates So you can vote for whatever delegate you want on the first round, which would mean that Donald Trump most likely would not get the 1237. And they're doing it to save the party. They're doing it because the majority of Republicans don't want him as the president. These are people that voted for Kasich. These are people that voted for Rubio. These are people that voted for Jeb Bush that I didn't agree with. And I said last night, you can't do that. And here's why. Technically, you can. But that will cause chaos. That could be the kindling of a civil war. That could be, best case scenario, that could be lead to the next election. Everybody's saying, well, my vote's not going to count anyway. Look what they did to Donald Trump. It won't count. It won't matter. And people getting even more disaffected and disenfranchised. 
How do you repair going in with a guy who did his job and won the 1237, even though I strongly disagree with it? He got the 1237, and he did it fairly. I don't agree with the way he ran his campaign, but he didn't rig it. How do you take it away? And then you replace him with Scott Walker. How are you expecting to get the 30% of the Republicans who agree with Donald Trump? How do you expect to get them into the boat? You're not. You're not. So then we are forever fractured. And we're in chaos. That's what's going to be happening in the adult summer. And we are looking at this right now. We're going into this summer and we're saying to ourselves, no way out, no way out. We've passed all the exits. There's no good choices. Whatever I choose is bad. We cannot pass that on to our children. Because our children must have the hope that we had in the summer that they do have the ability to change the world. We need them to know that, yes, these are tough times, but you're going to make it. And all of our hope is pinned in them. My kids, the school they go to, I posted it live online on Facebook. It was a it was a play, and it wasn't a, you know, it's not something that, it would be one of those plays, like every child's play that you would go to, and I sat through plenty of them with four children, where you're like, good Lord, let this end. However, this particular one was on the American, what was it called, the Spirit of America. And most, most of it was the kids just quoting quotes from Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Ben Franklin, James Madison. These kids reenacting what the founders did and then making the arguments using the founders' words. I was on stage because I was the narrator and I looked through the eyes at the eyes of those who are watching their children. There wasn't a dry eye in the building. And it wasn't because it was so special. It wasn't. It was a crappy play. It was a kid's play. It was the fact that we had hope as adults because we saw our kids say the words that had meaning. And we knew if they knew those words, we're going to make it. Now this, when a company really believes in the products that it makes, they're happy to prove it. And that's why Casper lets you try their mattresses for 100 nights. And if it's not the best sleep you've ever had, you can return it and get all of your money back. Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to you, saving you a ton of money. And their new sheets and their new pillows are really comfortable. And Casper mattress ships free in a surprisingly small box uh, and then just open it up on the bed, trust me, because it's like this weird, it is this weird thing. This mattress comes in this small box, and you cut it open, and all of a sudden, it's a full-size mattress. Go to Casper.com, use the promo code BECK, get $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Try it in your own home for 100 nights, risk-free. You don't like it, they come and pick it up and refund 100% of your money. Terms and conditions do apply. Casper.com, that's Casper.com, offer code BECK, Casper.com. 
This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. The Glenn Beck Program. 888-727-BECK. Welcome to Friday. So glad that you're here. We have a lot to talk about uh, this weekend uh, that is coming up. We want to talk to you about the latest in the news I want to talk to you about the White House endorsing Hillary Clinton and at the same time the spokesperson announcing that it is a criminal investigation on Hillary Clinton. Wait, what? Before you were just looking into things. Now you announce on the same day you endorse the passive aggressiveness of this administration is stunning. More in a second. Eric Erickson's uh, essay over the next two weeks. He said that uh, that Trump has hired a pollster to try to win New York is another signal to donors that Trump is a terrible investment living in a delusion. Having spent the better part of this week suddenly fielding calls. Look, let me say this before we get into this. We have talked on the air and off the air that we no longer want to recommend anything to you, nothing to you. You're going to have to do your own homework, and this is a personal decision at this point. Because if I had a great idea, if I said, guys, trust me, if we all pile into a third candidate, or we all vote for Donald Trump, or we all vote for Hillary, it means X, Y, or Z, I would say that to you. But I can't tell you what I plan to do personally is the right thing. There are no good options. So I want to be able to, and and maybe... Some will allow us this opportunity and this leeway, but it's critical that I think that we do it. We have to have a dialogue as reasonable people, knowing that you might disagree with me, I might disagree with you, but we're, we're trying the best for our country. And we have to talk about these things without screaming at each other. If you want to be heard, you have to listen. And that means me. I have to listen to you. And it's why we're doing these things 
at, uh, in the third hour. This week we've done it, and next week we'll do it again, and then we'll be done with it. But I'm not telling you it's great not to vote, and I'm not telling you it's great to vote for Donald Trump. It's your decision. My job is not to, at this time, not to give you a solution, because I don't have one. The minute I do, I'll let you know. But I don't think I'm going to come up with one. I don't think any of us are. We're going to come up with the best possible choice when all of the choices suck. And I think that's personal. So with that being said, now let me get back into this. This is not a Trump bash. This is something we have to discuss because like it or not, Trump supporter or no Trump supporter. And on this particular issue, I actually think what the non-Trump supporters are hoping for is a disaster. Is a disaster. Okay. So uh, the better part of this week, suddenly fielding calls from donors and elected officials who have been otherwise adamant that I should give it up and get on the Trump bandwagon. It is clear that Trump has done himself real damage and people are privately reconsidering his nomination. This unlike the primary in that, for example, Trump attacked Judge Curiel in March and the media ignored it. Now they have seized upon it and put him on defense in a way he has not been since attacking Ben Carson as a child molester. Republicans who thought Trump could be controlled and reasoned with are finally starting to see that Trump is one of those people um, uh, that those who are against him have seen. The creep factor is now intensifying as more Howard Stern stories come out. Trump, in his own words, commented on how good-looking Paris Hilton was at 12 and then discussed how he and his wife watched Paris Hilton's porn tape. It's just creepy. Uh, To mollify Republicans on Tuesday night, Trump shackled himself to a teleprompter doing his best Obama impression. That, combined with a statement that he had been misconstrued, was an omission against the interest that he had damaged himself. Republicans who had come to terms with Trump's are, uh, Trump is now, they are now nervous and fretting. Based on all of my conversations this week, writes Eric Erickson, here's what I think is going to play out. If Trump can go the next two weeks uh, without unforced errors and can do interviews along the way without embarrassing himself or the party, his nomination is assured. Trump has to be able to go out without a teleprompter, give speeches, and also give press interviews. If he hides in a bunker for the next two weeks, he will damage himself with the prominent Republicans and, more importantly, the Republican donors. They need to see that he has grown up. If Trump can do that, he will be the nominee and not just the presumptive nominee. But if Trump can't control himself and exercise self-discipline in the next two weeks... The Republican convention is going to spiral out of control and look for a savior. I believe, writes Eric Erickson, that savior is most likely to come from Wisconsin. It will not be Paul Ryan, but Scott Walker. Right now, there are several separate similar efforts to unbind the delegates at the convention. The rules committee is key, and sources I talk expect the delegates to be split on the committee with 30% for Cruz, 25% for Trump, and 45% willing to go in a direction that will save the party from destruction. If Trump continues on this week, like he has in last week's, uh, those 
separate similar efforts will become one effort. Behind the scenes, it has not gone unnoticed that many of the major donors who are still opposed to Trump were also Scott Walker fans. There are rumors now cropping up that Walker might be willing to entertain being a dark horse candidate if we get to the convention and Trump has spiraled out of control. Walker's withdrawal of Trump's endorsement was seen as a positive sign in that direction. Missing, however, in all of this is Ted Cruz. Nothing will happen at the convention without Ted Cruz's blessing. Cruz may be placed in a very unique position of having to be the statesman and lead the delegates. Because of the remaining animosity between Cruz and the establishment players, Cruz might very well be able to shape a ticket that benefits Cruz without putting him in the top slot. If that ticket then goes on to lose to Hillary, Cruz is is the one who stopped Trump and put the party above its own desires when 2020 comes around. If the ticket wins, he becomes the president of the Senate before becoming president of the United States, or he just fully takes on leadership of the conservative movement. Cruz and Walker are becoming key players as Trump continues to falter. The donor class feels comfortable with Walker, and they think he could truly be persuaded to do it. Conservatives are comfortable with Cruz and recognize that he has to be involved because of his delegate count and the personal loyalty of his delegates. All of this hinges, however, on the next two weeks of Trump. Trump is about to come under withering attack by the Democrats. The media focus is growing, and the drumbeat to release his tax returns is about to become deafening. A smart person might just conclude that not all the attacks and investigations now being conducted by the media are originating with the Democrats. More Republican governors, senators, and representatives are starting to fear disaster in November with Trump as the nominee. The chances for loss of the Senate is growing. Trump is trying to convince Republican donors that he doesn't need a massive data operation while being convinced that he can win California and Maryland has made senior Republicans and major donors very queasy. That Trump has hired a pollster to try to win New York is another signal to donors that Trump is a terrible investment living in delusion. These next two weeks are going to be critical for Trump, who must show that he can be unscripted, hold his own in interviews, and not blow himself up. If he cannot do it, behind the scenes, wheels are already beginning to turn to yank the nomination from him, and the party elders from Romney to the Bushes will take discreet and decisive action. Trump has no more latitude. The leaks to Bloomberg about his conference call with surrogates ended that. He must now put up or shut up. That's Eric Erickson, who I think Eric is one of the is one of the real leaders of the conservative movement and, and one of the real honest brokers of the conservative movement, a very good brain uh, behind things and very well connected. Yes, on all those counts. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where we can, this idea that he's going to be capable of even a couple of weeks of interviews without causing controversy I mean, how many times have we gone down this road? He's going to do these things. That's him. He's been elected like this. Let him be himself. Let him go out there. And if he wants to say this guy is ruling against him because he's Mexican, you're on this bandwagon. Just just accept it. This is the man you elected. And that's okay. And why why they would say he's got to behave himself two weeks before the nomination 
Well, you're not going to have any power over him when he's in office. Right. So even if you, were, you have to, you have to decide. I either accept him as he is because that is who he is. And that's just these are his strengths. Correct. That I is mean, he who he them, is, and this is this is what they are. Correct. And you know, I think like I think what Eric is probably saying there um, is that you know they're going to even if he accept, he were to accept this challenge, he probably wouldn't be able to achieve this two weeks of of not causing something. But you know what? I think he can. I think he's capable of doing that easily. I, you know, I was I heard a clip from MSNBC this morning. Um, and they are, they are strangely, they were all for him, but now they're strangely against him. Ooh, who would have seen that one coming? Um, but they were saying, um, uh, Joe was saying that Republicans are calling him and they're in full-fledged meltdown. They don't think that he's going to make it to the convention. Now, I just don't see that happening. I mean, I just don't see that happening. It's also interesting that, uh, why now? He said... A hundred things that have melted him down. He's, I think he said Eric things that it, are worse than what he said about the judge. But what he said, what what Eric said at the beginning of this, I think is is right. There were so many people that said they thought they could control him. Right. I mean, we we talked about this for a long time, and I said, Mitch McConnell and you boys in in the in the Republican Party, you think you're going to be able to control him? No way. You don't know who he is. Boy. He is the reason why people like him is because he's uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. He'll do what he is what he wants to do, and he's going to take on whoever, whenever, whatever he wants, and that's who he is, and that's part of why people like him. And these guys thought we could put him back in a box. Well, we'll put him in a box. They're now realizing. He's not going to go into a box. Oh, right. We told you that. Of course not. Um, you know, I don't know. It's how. not Trump's fault. You know, and no, it's their it's fault. It's not Trump's fault at all. This not is, at all. This is who the guy is. And this is, these are the strengths in which got him elected. Yep. Right. And, and it, these are the things that we, who were trying to be consistent, were trying to point out that but, you're going to be surprised. But that was the time to make this decision. Yes. I mean, I, David now French, it's not. who's really smart, writes right. for the National Review, wrote, wrote a very good legal analysis on how these delegates are not actually bound. You can't overwhelm someone's First Amendment right with some rule saying they have to do something. Still. That's, but again, no. it, you're overturning the will of it's the It's legally, I think he's probably legally right. Yeah, probably. But the point is, you can't do it. have an election, you have rules in advance. Makes you look like a banana republic. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sorry, the guy I mean, won, as, and I don't know how. I, I, I as appealing as all of that is, Scott yeah. Walker or Ted Cruz? I'd love it. Oh, yeah, I love I mean, it. Yes, please. Yes. No, I mean, I mean quite was, honestly, I'd get to a point where I'm at a point, the Overton window has been moved so far that Mitt Romney even looks like a good choice. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I want people about that yesterday and i'm like yes i know i know that i want i want the trump supporters to understand we would love for this to happen can't happen but it's wrong it is it's wrong guys the nominee right end of discussion he's the presumptive nominee right Right. but he's he's over 1237 so now he either wins or loses this thing in the general to me there's only one you can do legitimate way for, for Donald Trump to not be the nominee of the Republican Party, down. which is he, his polling gets so bad, Donnie Deutsch, and you go to him and say he that. Will. Donnie Deutsch said says, he'll step down. Donnie Deutsch said, "I talked to." Okay, so now we know he's not going to step down. Yes, we, that is confirmed right. now. Thank he, you. He Donnie said Deutsch he had said. a con- he had a conversation with uh, with Donald Trump. He said, f- we're friends. We've been friends forever." And he said, "I talked to him on the night of Iowa." 
And he said, uh, he called him up and said, Donnie, can you believe this? Which to, to Donnie, he said, that was an indication to me. He didn't expect this. He, that's not what he, he wasn't running to be president. Right. And that's he was running to make a statement or to enhance or whatever, but he wasn't running to be president. And he said to Donnie, can you believe this? And he said, Don, if you win, I mean, are you going to, are you going to, sir? I mean, are you prepared to be president? He said he changed the subject right away, which he said, if you're a friend of Donald Trump, means, uh-uh, I'm not, I, I'm not even going there. And didn't expect to win at that point. And he believes that if the polls start to go down and there's this movement, he will just eject. Right. Well, I don't see how he can do that. I, I don't think there's any way I he don't can think at so. this point. Right. I think like he could theoretically say, look, my, you know, when the polls are coming down, he might realize he's not going to win and say, look, you know, these Republicans are coming after me and drop out. There's a 0.01% chance of that. And I think, um, the, and that's the and only as much as I want, as much as I, I like all the people who are on the Cruz campaign, you know, the grassroots delegates who are saying, hey, wait a minute, we, we can change the rules. I, I just think that's a colossally bad idea. I think there'd be rioting. I do too. I do too. And I think it will be kindling for a civil war. Yeah. I, uh, you Not know, a good idea. Unless Donald Trump is okay with it. And says, you know what? It's the best thing That's to do. That's the only way. That's the only way. I can't see the that. The only way. But I don't think he's going to do that. I mean, you just can't do it. Back in a minute. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Program. Is Ben Carson the worst spokesperson in history? He is out there as a surrogate for Trump saying that in private, Trump says he concedes he made a mistake and thinks the stuff about the judge was the wrong thing to say. No, I think that's actually a good thing for a spokesperson to say. I don't think it's true. And if it's, if um, it, 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 maybe it is, but certainly Donald Trump is not happy about him coming out and saying it, I don't think. I believe he is. Uh, uh, bring that up next hour. I, I think I can make a case that He's doing what Donald Trump is asking him to do, and that's a good thing for him to do. Back in a minute, last chapter of Reagan, next. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. In memory of Ronald Reagan, all this week we have been sharing a retrospective and introspective of his life. Today, we share the last chapter on Reagan, the assassination attempt on his life, his second term, and his legacy. And we start there right now.
fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. At 70 years old and 70 days into his presidency, Ronald Reagan had survived an assassination attempt. The would-be assassin, John Hinckley Jr., was captured at the scene, tried, and found not guilty by reason of insanity. When Reagan was shot, the nation went into a state of heightened military alert, fearing it was part of a larger coordinated Soviet attack. Instead, it turned out to be a crazy 25-year-old drifter who had tried to kill the president to impress actress Jodie Foster. Foster wasn't impressed. While a freshman at Yale, the media descended on Jodie Foster to ask about Hinckley and the letters he had written her. You know, that the, the letters were assumed to have been, you know, love type letters. When did you first realize the connection between the Hinckley and the letters and the Hinckley who shot the president? Um, well, how many Hinckleys do you know? Hinckley was sent to St. Elizabeth's Mental Hospital for treatment. Beginning in 1999, he began being released to stay with his parents for short periods at a time. Since 2014, he has been allowed outside the hospital for 17-day stretches eight times a year. Reagan was back at work at the White House less than two weeks after the shooting. After nearly being killed before he could affect any positive change on the nation, Reagan went to work turning the country's fortunes around. His tax and spending cuts would spur the economy, but it took a little more time than some expected. And in the meantime, the press did not cut him the slack they had cut a more recent president during recessionary times. Mr. President, in talking about the continuing recession tonight, you have blamed mistakes of the past and you have blamed the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. He then partnered with like-minded conservative British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and Pope John Paul II in opposing the spread of communism and the Soviet Union. In 1983, Reagan announced, Let me share with you a vision of the future which offers hope. It is that we embark on a program to counter the awesome Soviet missile threat with measures that are defensive. Let us turn to the very strengths in technology that spawned our great industrial base and that have given us the quality of life we enjoy today. What if free people could live secure in the knowledge that their security did not rest upon the threat of instant U.S. retaliation to deter a Soviet attack, that we could intercept and destroy strategic ballistic missiles before they reached our own soil or that of our allies? With that speech, President Ronald Reagan seemingly overturned 30 years of back and forth with the Soviet Union on offensive nuclear arsenals. With the Strategic Defense Initiative, or Star Wars Defense, as it came to be known, Reagan was suggesting something defensive, something that could stop Soviet missiles from reaching the United States. And if America was no longer vulnerable to attack, the Soviets were no longer safe in their minds. No one knew it at the time, but it was a massive bluff that paid unbelievable dividends. The technology the president spoke of actually didn't exist. Yet the Soviets panicked and began spending unprecedented amounts of money just to keep up. While Reagan increased the federal deficit by raising American defense spending to 7% of GDP, 
the Soviets went from an unreasonable 22% to an insane 27% of GDP with their military spending. Domestically, the tone and policies of Ronald Reagan were working. Americans felt good again, patriotic again, positive about themselves and the future again. Even though he would start a second term in 1985 at 74 years old, Reagan believed there was much more to do. His age was definitely a factor during his 84 re-election campaign, a factor he used during a debate with his Democratic opponent, Walter Mondale. You already are the oldest president in history, and some of your staff say you were tired after your most recent encounter with Mr. Mr. Uh, Mondale. Um, I recall yet that President Kennedy had to go for days on end with very little sleep during the Cuba Missile Crisis. Is there any doubt in your mind that you would be able to function in such circumstances? Not at all, Mr. Truitt, and I, and I want you to know that also I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. <laughs> As he had done with Carter during the first presidential campaign, Reagan completely diffused something that was perceived to be a negative. With one single, nicely delivered line, he had blown an actual concern of the American people out of the water. He joked about it, often. One of my favorite quotations about age comes from Thomas Jefferson. He said that we should never judge a president by his age, only by his work. And ever since he told me that, I've stopped worrying. <laughs> he also reminded Americans that a new day had dawned. It's morning again in America. Today, more men and women will go to work than ever before in our country's history. With interest rates at about half the record highs of 1980, nearly 2,000 families today will buy new homes, more than at any time in the past four years. This afternoon, 6,500 young men and women will be married. And with inflation at less than half of what it was just four years ago, they can look forward with confidence to the future. It's morning again in America. And under the leadership of President Reagan, our country is prouder and stronger and better. Why would we ever want to return to where we were less than four short years ago? Reagan won the re-election in one of the biggest landslides of all time. President Reagan won 49 out of 50 states. Mondale only won his home state. The electoral count was 525 to 13. It's almost unimaginable now to think that a Republican won California, Massachusetts, New York, and other liberal states. But Ronald Reagan did. On January 28, 1986, the space shuttle Challenger disaster took the lives of seven NASA astronauts in a horrifying explosion seen live on national television. That night, he sought to comfort the shell-shocked nation with words that he had memorized as a young man. The crew of the space shuttle Challenger honored us for the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them nor the last time we saw them this morning as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God 
Thank you. Despite his natural ability to connect with millions of ordinary Americans, Reagan did have his detractors. It may not seem like it now, but at the time, his Democratic opposition hated him. They called him stupid, senile, a warmonger, a cowboy, someone who hates the poor, and much worse. But it never seemed to bother him. All he did was cut the tax rate across the board, including the top rate from a ridiculous 70% income tax to 28 His policies lowered the inflation rate from 13.5% in 1980 to 1.9% in 1986. Real GDP growth under Reagan averaged 3.5%, and it was nearly 5% following the recession. During his administration, the nation added over 16 million jobs. Ronald Reagan was not perfect, however. There was the Iran-Contra scandal, exchanging weapons for seven American hostages being held by Hezbollah in Iran, and then using some of the proceeds to fund the guerrilla warfare the Contras were waging against the communist Sandinistas in Nicaragua. I will tell you right now, counsel, and all the members here gathered, that I misled the Congress. That is how National Security Council member Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North summed up his involvement during the congressional hearings. How much Reagan knew, and when he knew, is still not entirely clear. When the scandal broke, it dropped his approval rating from 67% to 46%. He would, however, recover. Another mistake, as he admitted to his Attorney General Edwin Meese. According to Meese, he referred to granting amnesty to the 2 million illegal aliens in 1986 as the biggest mistake of his administration. He was definitely ill-advised by those around him, but he had the final decision. History has proven that it made the situation with illegal immigration much worse. Yet there are many who advocate making that same mistake again today. But to the vast majority of Americans and even historians, the overall legacy of Ronald Reagan was one of economic prosperity and winning the Cold War, defeating the Soviet Union. He is remembered as a man who wasn't afraid to say what he really believed, especially about the Soviets. You know, I've always believed that old screw tape reserved his best efforts for those of you in the church. So in your discussions of the nuclear freeze proposals, I urge you to beware the temptation of pride, the temptation of blithely uh, declaring yourselves above it all, label both sides equally at fault to ignore the facts of history and the aggressive impulses of an evil empire to simply call the arms race a giant misunderstanding and thereby remove yourself from the struggle between right and wrong and good and evil virtually everyone advised him not to call the soviet union an evil empire it was too provocative and when he went to the brandenburg gate of the berlin wall his advisors and speechwriters told him relentlessly that he couldn't possibly say what he wanted to say because, well, you just don't. Again, too provocative, Mr. President. They took the line out of the speech. He put it back in. They took it back out on the way to Berlin. He put it back in. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. President Ronald Wilson Reagan made the demand in Berlin June 12, 1987. 
At the time, it was unthinkable that the wall could come down anytime soon. But thanks in large part to his heroic efforts rebuilding the United States military, opposing communism at every turn, remaining steadfast, not to mention his plan to announce the Star Wars defensive system that didn't exist then and still doesn't exist today, that sent the Soviets into a spending frenzy they couldn't sustain. On November 9th, 1989, just over two years after the speech, the wall began coming down. The Soviet Union, the evil empire, collapsed. Today, even Democrats generally speak of Ronald Reagan fondly. They hated his trickle-down economics, Reaganomics, as they called it at the time. But they are forced to admit his policies led to an amazing prosperity. In 1994, the nation mourned with Nancy and the entire Reagan family when it was announced that he had Alzheimer's disease. Doctors say the former president's health is good now, but they expect it to deteriorate progressively as the years go by. And they mourned again when he succumbed to the disease in 2004. Today, Nancy Reagan and her children mourn Ronald Reagan. His flag-draped casket now at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California, where hundreds and hundreds of people have already filed past to pay their respects. But Ronald Wilson Reagan left a legacy as one of America's greatest presidents ever. People were still lined up here today when they had to cut off the uh, viewing. And certainly the best of the 20th century. It's just a tremendous thing uh, for recognition of this great president. Even as he left office in January 1989, a Gallup poll showed a 64% approval rating for the departing president, the highest ever recorded for a president leaving office. My friends, we did it. We weren't just marking time. We made a difference. We made the city stronger. We made the city freer. And we left her in good hands. All in all, not bad. Not bad at all. And so, goodbye, God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. Such a great serial on Ronald Reagan. Just truly an amazing series on Ronald Reagan. And you can, you can hear all of those episodes uh, at glennbeck.com slash serial. And you can even spell it like what's in a box for breakfast. And it will be redirected to the right page. So no matter how you spell serial, uh, it is glennbeck.com uh, slash serials. And it is 
uh, Ronald Reagan, five episodes of that one, but there are many episodes uh, on different topics. And we really want to hear your uh, suggestions. We were just talking about some more things that we can learn from uh, Reagan. I, I want to do a serial on Reagan's economic policies and how it really was the beginning of the digital revolution. I mean, you could go in the 80s and say we wouldn't have had the space shuttle uh, series if it wasn't for John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy was the one who really gave us the microwave and tang and, and other things that we got from the space program because of John F. Kennedy. We all know that and recognize that, but not a lot of people recognize that because of what Ronald Reagan did, we have Apple and Microsoft. Mm-hmm. It was that economy that allowed those guys to go in their garage and to do it. And they both say now that, well, Steve doesn't, but, but uh, 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 Bill Gates does, that he could not do what he did in the 1980s now with the way America is run and the way America has, has blocked the door to so many entrepreneurs. 22 million jobs during the Reagan administration. 22 million. And that's coming out of, uh, out of a time when we were hemorrhaging jobs, when oh yeah, everything was closing. Inflation was at thirteen. Detroit was six percent. Remember the K car to one point seven percent. Wow! I mean, uh, he did one of the more amazing jobs in the history of this nation. Probably maybe the most amazing. And why he had sixty-seven percent of approval, the highest of anybody yeah. on record, leaving office. Leaving office, even though he had a couple of serious. Uh, issues. You think he knew like about Iran Contra? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, his advisors won't necessarily say. Some of them do uh, now. Say that he knew uh, that he signed off on it. I, I do think he knew. Yeah, uh, that's the only real black spot to me. Yeah, uh, well, that and and the amnesty thing. Yeah, but uh, he admitted that was a mistake. Yes, he did. He never admitted that he was involved in in Contra, and that's yeah. the only thing where he was uh, maybe, possibly dishonest yeah. um, and wasn't the stand-up guy that we, we thought he was. And speaking of stand-up, he was almost a stand-up comedian, too. Really funny. Really funny guy. Really funny. That, you forget that part of it. Yeah, he that quip, do you brilliant. take responsibility at all for this? Yes, because I was a Democrat for too many years. <laughs> just I mean, diffused it. I mean, yeah. And you look at the video... That is with this, if you're watching this on TV, you look at the video, and everybody, even the reporters, are laughing. All of them. And all of them are laughing. Even Sam Donaldson, who asked the question. He could diffuse any situation. Yep. The Glenn Beck Program. We're just talking about the Ronald Reagan serial that happened all week. Um, please use and spread the word on the serials. I mean, that, that, is, that could be used by every homeschooling um, uh, class in oh, yeah. the country. I, I, I forgot how much there was to like about Ronald Reagan. Me too. I mean, there, there, that, that, was, 
that's a good series. And by the way, uh, they are written by someone who runs a school. So they are safe yes. uh, to for and, uh, educational purposes. And the research, we have, what, four researchers on these. So, you know, yes. everything is checked and, 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 and it's accurate. Um, and it, it paints the whole story on him. I mean, as much as you can get in, you know, four 15-minute episodes. Um, it, you know, it, it, it got into the Iran-Contra thing and everything else. But it, it's a fascinating series. Please share them. They're free. Share them. Uh, Glenbeck.com slash serials. Uh, I have, uh, I've never said this to you before, we're trying really hard to make it easy for you to spread things, spread the word, and spread knowledge and teach it to your kids, etc., etc. This is an easy way for you to do it, and that is the most expensive 10 or 15 minutes on commercial radio anywhere. You wouldn't believe how long each one of them takes. Yeah, because we want to get them right, and I mean, they are wildly expensive in manpower hours. So, uh... Please, we could do we could do three hour, two hours and forty five minutes at about half the cost of those fifteen minutes. So we spend like the Obama administration on those things. Yeah, that's we do. how bad it is. We do. So please use them; they're free at glenbeck.com/slash/serial. I said to to Stu when we went into break. I said, you know, the one thing we didn't do is we didn't talk about his uh, his position on AIDS, and and he looked at me kind of funny, and I said because if I remember right at the beginning. He didn't fund AIDS. And I started to make a case on why in 1981 or 1982 you might not have. Um, and I was going to say, you know... It's very few people even knew about it. Yeah, and I was going to say they're just, you know, the media distorting. No, no, no. It's not even what I thought it was with media distortion. Listen to this. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, there's a big thing that goes around the Internet saying Reagan never spoke publicly about AIDS until 1987. Uh, that is not true at all. Uh, he spoke about it multiple years before. I think it was 1985 he actually talked about it publicly. Um, now, remember, he took office in 1981. Um, he's, some other people in his administration. And remember, we found out about AIDS, if I'm not mistaken, in 81. It was a very early. Before very early. Any, yeah. so, and people have to understand, like, AIDS is not that big of a deal now because we relatively have it under control. I mean, it's, I mean, it's still, a big deal. It's still, still a big, big deal. No, but it's right. not like it was. Yes. Back then... It's not the scary death sentence that... Oh, my gosh. Back then, it was yeah. instant death. Nobody knew how it was transmitted. Right. And, and when they did, when we first saw it, it was generally from, like, the bathhouse lifestyle in San Francisco. And so you would have the same attitude, let's say, I mean, it was like... It was, it was, at the time, it was, it was thought to only have been, let's say, in a, in a different way, um, only people who are involved in wife swapping and orgies. Right. To, and to be, back up what you're saying, one of the first questions the Reagan administration got about AIDS was in 1982, and the reporter referred to it as the gay plague. The reporter did, not the administration. Right. At that time, that's how people thought about it. And it wasn't, and it wasn't just all gay people. It was, it, at the early set, it was... Gays and drug addicts. Gays and drug addicts. And I don't even know if it was drug addicts really early. But it was, it was gays in the bathhouse lifestyle. Then I think they added drug addicts to that. And then it started to go to, you know, homosexuals who are not in the bathhouse lifestyle... And that's when everything started to fall apart because everybody's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, what is this? It went from this little teeny thing to a very big deal. It was very early and um, scary. You know, reporters at that time were suggesting, shouldn't you be encouraging gay people to not just have random bathhouse sex with each other? 
Reporters were asking questions about that to the Reagan administration. This is how well this disease was understood at the time. It wasn't. No one understood it. Well, how well the disease was understood and how non-politically correct even the reporters were in 81 and 82. Hardcore conservatives asking these questions. 1980s, I mean, you know, it's, it's the exact opposite. 1970s, 1960s. 1980s, it was the opposite. We didn't talk, you didn't talk about homosexual issues. And the president, even Hillary Clinton four years ago, was saying that heterosexual marriage is the only marriage. I mean, Barack Obama has totally changed America and what we never would talk about, uh, you know, the things that we talk about now. I mean, it's been several decades here, yeah. and it's hard to put yourself back in those moments. But again, think about this from a, a liberal press that has a chance to ask this hardcore conservative these questions about AIDS. They went through all the presidential debates in 1984, and Ronald Reagan got no questions about AIDS, none, from the media. Not from. You could blame Ronald Reagan all you want, but he's answering questions asked by him at the, asked uh, to him it's at debates. That's why presidents <clears throat> address certain things. Right. It's because they're asked about them. They're asked about yeah. them. They don't just randomly throw out every single topic under the sun. Right. No. Well, this one mm. does. Barack Obama does. Yeah, Obama does. does. But, but when you're talking about a particular issue, usually it's because there's a public interest, right. a, 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 an overwhelming it. public interest. Especially there was in certain in, communities, but it had not main, it did not reach the mainstream mm-hmm. status. Especially that we in today. 1984 during an election period, if it was such a big deal, the press would have asked him several questions about it, but they didn't ask him a single question during his reelection campaign. Think about that when you're blaming him. Think about that. The media, the entire media, they didn't ask him any of the questions. Now, he finally did answer a question about it in 1985. Here's what he said. Uh, They asked him about AIDS. He said, I have been supporting it for a while now. Let's go back and look at the facts. He took office in 1981. In 1982, AIDS funding started under Ronald Reagan. They gave him an $8 million uh, funding. That was the first year. When they were first, again, this is at a time about it. This is at a time where he, people, when they were asking his press secretary about AIDS, he had never heard of it before. Think about The press secretary had never heard of the disease early on in the administration. Was it James Brady? Uh, and so in 1981, and you also have to remember, in 1981, it is a very small subsection of homosexuals that are getting it. And, and mm-hmm. it, so it is a very small group of people. A threat, but a, a threat that was not understood. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So he, he, despite that, the Reagan administration still puts $8 million towards funding. The next year, he increases that by 450% oh my to $44 gosh. million. Dollars. And keep in mind, you never this is that. a president who doesn't do that, who, who doesn't believe so necessarily say- in the government funding Right. Diseases and those kinds of things. And he believes in private industry doing that. And And yet he did it anyway. Still approved. And here's the other thing. Ronald Reagan, I can guarantee you, Ronald Reagan grew up in Hollywood. Oh, he knew homosexuals. Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson, who was the first good guy. Good friends. I mean, you know he knew and loved many gay people. The first major celebrity, if I remember right, to die of AIDS was Rock Hudson. Right? In 1985-ish? Six. I don't remember. I think he... We should look it up. I think he was. I think he was. He was the first, like, real shocking, like, whoa, wait a minute. What? Yeah. 
Um, so just to finish this off, uh, and so he was up to 44 million in 1983. In, in 1984, they increased it again by 134% to $103 million. Wow. So every year. In 85, another increase of 99% to wow. $205 million. In 1986, another increase of 148% to $508 million. In 87, wow. another increase of 81% to $922 million. In 1988, uh, another increase of 74% to $1.6 billion. And in his last budget, which was the 1989 budget, he increased it by another another 44% to $2.3 billion. If cancer spending had increased exponentially like that, we would have cured it like years ago. And can you, I mean, I know people can't, uh, you know, unless you're my age, you can't relate to this. That's when a billion dollars meant something. Yeah. Yeah. Let alone 2.3 billion. That's true. Uh, That's true. Uh, A billion dollars. We confuse all the time now. I'll confuse. I'll say something is $3 trillion. And, and no, no, it's, billion and you're like oh well that's that's nothing that's nothing exactly (laughs) like oh it's only two billion dollars this is when a bill this is when trillion seemed like a joke that you only said i remember being in class in 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 elementary school going trillion zillion you know you would make it up it sounded like a made-up word when we hit a trillion dollars in debt i don't even know when when we first hit the trillion dollars at least I did, I went, that's a real word? That's real? I mean, a trillion is real? I thought it was like, is a zillion yeah, next? Right. We don't know. Right. Um, and just to show you how dishonest people are about this man today, they go back and they say, well, he hasn't spoken about it. He didn't sp- speak about it publicly until 1987. First of all, it's not true. He spoke about it in 1985. But what did he say in 1985? Uh, the question was, would you a- support a massive government research program against AIDS like the one that President Nixon, Nixon law- uh, launched against cancer? His response, I have been supporting it for more than four years now. It's been one of the top priorities with us. And over the last four years, including what we have in the budget for 86, it will amount to over half a billion dollars that we provided for research on AIDS, in addition to what I'm sure other medical groups are are funding. The man had been working on AIDS since 1981. As Pat pointed out, this is the year, 1981, the year the CDC recognized it as an epidemic. So from the first year he took office, the first year it was recognized an epidemic, he started working on it, created, started the funding on it, and increased it over the entire increase was over 290 times what the initial uh, funding was. Yeah, he went from How can you million say, to, was it 2.3 billion? 2.3 billion. And that's an unbelievable increase. Wow. And then people bash him for not caring. Oh, yeah, he did care. Unbelievable. He did, I mean, he did things, wow. you know... He did you know, at that time. I have time, to tell you, your your memory goes dim, and you start to forget. And you, uh, it, this week has been amazing, at least for me, um, because I was to the point to where I'm like, you know, Ronald Reagan was great, but you know, can we stop talking about yeah, him? Stop talking about him. He wasn't necessarily I, that I would great. Definitely there, right? Mm-hmm. You listen to the serials this week, and you're like, good heavens, man. This guy was much better than I thought he was. Oh, yeah. Much better. Really remarkable. And now this. Protect what you own, what's rightfully yours. Burglars think they are entitled to what you have. It's a way of leveling the playing field. How are they going to make money if they don't steal your stuff and sell it? That's an actual quote from a family of of a robber. Protecting your home and your family can't wait. Simply Safe has put together a massive security system for you. Entry sensors, motion sensors, glass break sensors, 
everything you need to stop criminals from ever touching your home. And right now, Simply Safe is giving you an incredible offer. You get $100 off this package, complete protection for your home. With Simply Safe, already an unbelievable value in home security, but there's no long term contracts and no commitments. And right now, you can get $100 off their phenomenal security package because summer is when the break ins massively increase. Go to simplysafebeck.com. Possibly the best home security deal you will see. Simplysafebeck.com. And you get $100 off the amazing home security package if you go there right now. Simplysafebeck.com. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This. This. Is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Seven back. This is the Glenn Beck Program. When we come back, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the week. Hear what you have to say uh, on the things that are going on. We talked a little bit about uh, what the convention might look like. I'd like to hear your thoughts, both sides uh, of the uh, argument, or I don't know how many sides there are. I also want to talk a little bit about uh, Barack Obama, his endorsement yesterday, and how within, I believe, an hour of him endorsing, the White House announces that they are standing by Hillary and uh, Hillary's uh, uh, side um, as the criminal investigation moves forward. Now, Clinton has been very careful to make sure that it was never called a criminal investigation. She's made a very big deal. They're just looking into some irregularities. Why would the White House announce that it was a criminal investigation on, within an hour of saying, hey, she's the one. The passive aggressiveness of this administration is crazy. I mean, I'm sure that's how she's taking it, if nothing else. Um, Wouldn't you? I probably would, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's possible they just made a mistake, or actually they described it. What I mean is they made a mistake by describing it accurately, which they were trying to lie. It's possible they, f- they fumbled into the truth for a moment. Um, but it does seem like it's passive aggressive. I'm sure she's taking it that way. You know, I mean, you know, maybe nobody's called it that. It, it's called that by the White House. A criminal. Well, we've called it a criminal investigation. But nobody else has. The White House. Nobody in Washington like has said it. Nobody in Washington. Not even the Republicans have said. They said, it sir, looks like a criminal investigation to us. I mean, it's a criminal investigation, right? Nobody has come out and said the, the FBI is conducting as a criminal organization. Certainly not the White House. Certainly not so the White House. So Democrats are reporting someone who is, they say, they say is under criminal investigation. Republicans are reporting someone that they say is a racist. This is a good election. I think we're doing pretty well. I think things are turning out well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, love to hear for, from you. Love to hear your point of view. Um, especially if you are not a Trump supporter. Now, hear me out. Especially if you're not a Trump supporter. On what you think of the idea of the convent of the Republicans now that's being kicked around and former Trump supporters, not, not you know, Cruz supporters, but 
Trump, Trump supporters now coming out saying, I can't support him, and the idea that this, they may change the rules to make sure that he's out. I'm against this. I can't imagine this is happening. I think this leads to riots and kindling of the Civil War. But what are your thoughts? Is this the right thing to do? 888-727-BECK. Call now. Leads to people like us saying, well, next time if it's Ted Cruz, can they do the same thing to him? It's a terrible precedent. Uh, It's a terrible Terrible precedent. precedent. Terrible. I mean, it would piss me off. If If it was Ted Cruz who legitimately got past 1237, and then they said, we're taking it. Where? What would we How do, do you feel if you're a Trump supporter? Yeah. I mean, are you going to rally around somebody else that didn't win the nomination Probably fairly not. and squarely? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. 888-727-BECK. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. So my wife is, uh, uh, she cares about the blinds more than she cares about anything. Uh, It's basically the most important thing in her life, that the blinds in our family room were horrible. Uh, And she pestered me, I would say is the right term, uh, about it constantly. Uh, Now we've selected beautiful shutters from blinds.com. Now, just for listeners of this program, there's a 20% discount all over the site, now through June 30th, when you use promo code BECK. you got to use promo code BECK. Go to blinds.com and use promo code BECK for a 20% discount before June 30th. Now, these things are coming in. They're beautiful. And they've changed not only how nice their house is and, and how nice the room is, but it's changed my life for the better, which is really what I care about. I don't have to hear about it anymore. <laughs> you can have this, too. Go to blinds.com once again, 20% off before June 30th. That's blinds.com, promo code back, blinds.com. Few things. Few things that we just haven't had a chance to uh, talk about this week. Um, Richard Simmons apparently is secretly living as a woman. This doesn't come as a surprise to to anyone. I want to talk to you a little bit about Richard Simmons. I, I really, I've met him several times, and he's a really nice, nice guy. Really nice guy. But really pretty overwhelmingly sad uh, was my impression of, of him. We'll talk about that coming up again. Also, George Soros is trading again. He says the currencies in the euro market are maybe going to collapse. So he's buying a whole bunch of gold. And I want to show you how different things in Hollywood really are. We all remember It's a Wonderful Life and the point of It's a Wonderful Life there is a new, um, there is a new book, uh, or I'm sorry, a, a new movie out, um, where a guy is a quadriplegic and can't move, and a woman wants to show him how important his life really is. He wants to commit suicide. In the end, it's a celebration of his death because, yeah, you're right. It's not such a wonderful life. 
and it's being heralded as a really inspirational film. We talk about that and many other things right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. That movie, by the way, is called Me Before You. And I want to talk, talk to you about it because it's, it shows a fundamental transformation of us. Yeah. Who we are. I also want to talk to you um, about uh, what's happening with the convention. And I posted something online last night that I think a lot of supporters and Trump supporters were a little shocked at. Uh, you shouldn't be because it's, it's consistently what I have said. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the GOP now dumping Donald Trump at the convention. I cannot believe this is true. I think this is wishful talking for people who don't support Trump, uh, but I don't think it should be wishful talking um, and, and hoping because I think it leads to great trouble. I'd like to hear your opinion on it. Tim in New Jersey is there. Hello, Tim. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Hi. Thanks for listening. How, how are you? Good. Uh, big fan, by the way. Thank you, sir. Um, okay, my, I just have a quick comment uh, regarding your, your statement about a possible civil war, riots, or um, uh, uh, trouble brewing. If they were to do something like that, if it were within the rules, number one, uh, well, let me just begin by saying I'm not a Trump fan, never was. I'm a Ted Cruz guy, and, and bec- I'm a Ted Cruz guy not because of who Ted Cruz is, but for what he stands for and what he's done. And I think, personally, it may be time for the terrible swift sword. You know, I mean, it, 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 when you think about it, liberty is so precious and, and so rare it is at stake right now. Um, we cannot afford four years of Clinton or Trump. It, liberty will vanish. And then you want to talk bloodshed. Forget about it. And I think that the Trump supporters are such a small group that, yeah, they would, they would hem and haw and there would be some violence. But I'd like to know, please explain to me why you went at the risk of sounding um, um, uh, over-constitutionalist, uh, well, you know, the tree of liberty and all that, you know, I mean, maybe it's time to water it with some blood of patriots. I, well, I that will. Sta- t- that statement was made for a reason. Right. I will tell you, and I thank you for your call, Tim. I will tell you that that is what the right. I'm sorry. That's what the left is pushing for. The left Huffington Post came out with an unbelievable editorial uh, this week where they said, we need some violence on the streets of the Republican convention. You got to stop Donald Trump at all costs. And they adv- they were advocating for violence, not not subtly, not read between the lines. They said it is time for violence and violence will work. I, I'm not a guy. I mean, if you've listened to me for a long time, I have not. I believe Martin Luther King is the way to go. I do not believe in in violence. If my life is being threatened and you're coming after me or my family, well, then I will pick up a gun. Martin Luther King, he asked to get a gun license so he could carry a gun. What a surprise. 
the uh, sheriff in, I think it was in Memphis, turned him down. The government manipulated yeah. people's Second Amendment rights. Yes, believe for, for his, purposes. but for oh, his, safety. for his own safety. That was for his own yeah, safety. Of course. Um, so even though he was a he was a, um, a guy who believed in nonviolent resistance, he did believe in defending himself. So um, you know, I, I put myself into that category. I don't think violence and death on the streets, I don't think um, uh, lighting the fires of a civil war is something that I rush to. You have to remember, the civil war ended in more deaths than all other American wars combined. That's a stunning stat. Uh, And you look at... You look at... Uh, what that did to this nation, we barely made it. And we made it because we had Abraham Lincoln at the helm. You want to start a war with who? With, with who is in charge? Who, who's leading this? Abraham Lincoln was talking like this, um, you know, in 1860. But that is that is after... Years of people talking about we're going to head to civil war. Ten years people were seriously talking about civil war. And I don't think when, when Jefferson talked about watering the tree of liberty with the blood of patriots, I, I don't think he was talking about during a primary season when you've just overturned the nominee. I think he's talking about when they suspend the Constitution, when they light the Constitution on fire and your rights have been taken from you and your nation is not what it, it, it used to be. And and we are there in many then, respects, but we have but, never we have not suspended the Constitution. No. We've ignored the Constitution. I mean, Abraham Lincoln suspended the Constitution a heck of a lot more yeah. than it's been suspended. So and, and I will tell you, and I will also tell you this: that I am I'm 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 gravely concerned that the Republicans should have said something along the way. This could have been stopped, but they didn't. And for them to disenfranchise the millions of people who went out and voted, it wouldn't be right. But I mean, you know, we're, this you know caller talking about the you know the the old the quote. It's like brings us to a place where you don't need to be. What you need is not hundreds of delegates to change the way that everyone thought this election was going and not be bound, even though everyone said they were going to be bound. Blah 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 blah. If you have one candidate that actually has the balls to step up. And run as an independent, you'd have a chance to win. Now you might say, "Well, that that, that might that should never happen." I mean, you know, what are the odds of that? Well, what are the odds about overturning the votes in the primary? I mean, there is a clear path without breaking rules, without changing things, without having to come to a legalistic you, just definition. Yeah. If somebody would step up and actually run or get behind, imagine this. I, I I think I've heard that Ted Cruz is speaking at the convention. Is that true? It is, it's nothing like that is confirmed yet. Right, but he there had, is a report today that said essentially the price of admission for a Cruz speech is him getting behind Trump. Okay, let's just say that's the price of admission. But he instead gets up and says, well, and by that. the way, I'm leaving the Republican Party and I'm running for a third term. And anybody, I'm running for a third party, and anybody wants to join me, join me in the back of the room. I'm walking out now. That you could see and go, and I don't think he'd ever do that. Um, but that you would that would totally shake things up. But if you do it the other way, you're not going to put the Trump people into 
uh, into a new candidate. You're just not going to do it. Would you have been, if you had campaigned for Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio or anybody else, and we get to this point and your guy won, and then they pull the rug from underneath him at the last, when he hasn't behaved any differently than he's behaved the entire time, would you find that acceptable? You'll never, you, you, you won't win the presidency if you think you're going to put somebody like Scott Walker in and win the presidency, I don't think you will because I think out of spite, the Trump people will go and vote for Clinton. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's, not the, it's not the right thing to do, right? I mean, it's, no, hang on. Think let's, about principles for a second here. Okay. Right? I mean, the principle here is, you know, we all said this when Donald Trump was coming out and saying, well, the system's rigged against me. And we said, you know, actually, no, the rules are this way and you should be following them just like everybody else. And in fact, it's why you're ahead. And it's why he was ahead. And, right of, now. and of course, it was just a campaign tactic, as he admitted afterwards. He said, oh, well, now that I'm winning, it's not rigged anymore. But beyond all that, uh, well, we're going to now reverse ourselves and say, well, actually, we should come in and, and right. swoop in. And I don't think we should. Yeah. Again, well, I, the legal well, argument is that it's not a, a rule change. I understand that. And if I were a delegate, I would not cast my vote for Donald Trump. I would just walk out and not show up. I would, just, I would, I would say I got sick and I would leave, probably, because I would not be able to personally cast a ballot for him as a delegate. Although that probably, I probably wouldn't have signed up in the first place. Well, you'll have a, you'll have a replacement delegate. You'll have a replacement delegate. Everybody has a backup delegate. Let him do that. Yeah, I would I be, I would do, do the same thing. I would do the same thing. Now, here's the, um, let's play devil's advocate here for a second. The reason why, we never had primaries. Primaries didn't happen until about 100 years ago. We didn't have it. The people didn't have a voice. The parties picked the candidates, and then you voted in the primary. Right. So it's, it's much different. Now, the compromise on that was, let's give the people a voice in this. However, if there comes a person that is, does not reflect our view, views and our values as a party, we have, this, we have this system to be able to jettison them if we think they're going to destroy the party. So the argument on the other side is, we think this guy is going to destroy us. My argument against that is, yeah, we've been telling you that for a year. And the time to do that was, oh, I don't know, about a year ago. You could have stopped it every step of the way. To hear John Kasich say, well, this is an outrage and he's got to be stopped. John, you could have stopped him. You could have stopped him by pulling out before Ted Cruz did. You you could have stopped him. Mm -hmm. So you're disingenuous here. That's what I mean. I mean, just as recently as Indiana, even just as recently as Indiana, this could have been turned around. Yes. It was not because the people said they wanted Donald Trump as their nominee. That's what they freaking said. As much as we sat here and told them, we don't think this is a good idea, this is what they chose. They chose it. He's the nominee. I don't think going in there now and saying, well, he got all these delegates, but the delegates are going to do what they want to do, and legally we have a way out of it, is, is the right path. You have, there's plenty of other paths. There's other candidates that are currently running. You could have, Scott Walker could just run as an independent right now. He'd get plenty of money. He would get plenty of money to run that campaign. I think Mitt Romney would. Romney, I mean, you know, I'm not excited about Mitt Romney, but I mean. No, but I mean, I'm just saying that's how far the Overton window has moved. Exactly. That's how far we have left reality. So, I mean, to go in there and try to play with it just because they want to maintain the party, I don't care about the party. If the party gets destroyed, it deserves to get destroyed. What it has done here is something worthy of destruction. 
I agree. Um, so if it winds up getting destroyed, it gets destroyed, and you need to go somewhere else where liberty will actually live. And here's the problem with this. You don't win by doing it. You don't win, because you'll never put that back together. Now, they think that they'll get 67% over the, uh, over the you know, 30-some percent that's with Trump. Because, like, I think it's 67, 60, it's in the 60s versus in the 30s for Trump. 60-plus percent of the party, of the Republican Party, say, I can't vote for him. So they think if they just replace it, they'll just be able to get maybe 80%. Well, they're not going to. Yeah, and remember? if you were on the fence, uh, you know, but you were leaning towards Trump, maybe. But if you were, and most of his supporters are diehard supporters, not going to go with that. Again, already we're seeing polls that show that over 80% of Republicans are already okay with Donald Trump. Over 80% have already come along and are like, all right, he's our nominee and they will support him. So, I mean, what's the conversation? It's only the elites. It's the delegates. 65% of the delegates don't want him. Right. And, and when you say elites, they're the activists. They're the people that you know, care on a local level all the time. They don't just hop in for the presidential election. I mean, look, these people, I would, I would not be able to do the job they're doing. I don't want to be in politics for reasons like that. Because I don't want to go in there and say, well, I'm bound to vote for Donald Trump, so let me help him along. I understand that they might feel terrible about that. But, I mean, there's other things you can do than going in and, and overturning everything you told the people that they were it voting just for. disenfranchises it. people. It makes you not believe in the vote. And, but look this, how hard we worked. If you were for any other candidate, look how hard you worked. Look how hard you worked if you're for Donald Trump. Look how hard you're still working for Donald Trump by, you know, going on the message boards and whatever you're doing. And they do that. And they do that. Think how Big hard time. people and how deeply invested. And you're just going to take that away and say, up, oh, didn't count. You can't do it. And the people talking about this, I mean, I understand. They're trying to overturn every rock. They're trying to understand no. what they can do. And they're no. smart people, and they're people that I believe are on the right side of, of, of this debate. Um, however, you know, I just don't think it's the right approach. I'd rather, like, mm-hmm. you know, someone mentioned this, and we kind of talked about it a little bit off the air earlier. But it's like, you can't get one person to step up and actually just run as an independent. Yet we're going to convince... All of these people that overturning the Donald Trump result is the right thing to do, and they're going to come on board, and it's going to be this wonderful united party again. I mean, it's just not going to happen. That you're much more likely to get one person to step up and take take a shot at this as an, as an independent. Coming up in a few minutes, Jonathan Johnson. He's a candidate for governor of Utah, uh, and quite a different guy running for governor of Utah. Utah is upside down right now in politics it is unlike any other state in the union we talked to jonathan johnson coming up in just a few minutes now i want to talk to you a little bit about mercury real estate you want a sold sign in your front yard if you want a sold sign and not a for sale sign then you need to find the right agent and you need to find an agent that has your values your ethics your work ethics somebody who has a proven record of being able to sell your home faster and for the most money. The agents that are working for realestateagentsitrust.com, these agents are the best in the area. These are guys that will sell more houses usually. They'll sell more houses in a month than the other real estate agents sell in a year. These guys get it done. And they also have 
your ethics and principles because they're all fans of this show. So when you're calling them, you know you're dealing with somebody who's going to go the extra mile and, ha- and is cut from exactly the same cloth. You want a sale sign uh, for, uh, for uh, sorry, you want a sold sign instead of for sale sign. And you want to get moving on it right now? Put that sold sign in your yard. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com where we have individually selected agents that will work to earn your business every single day. For more money at the end of the deal and a faster close, realestateagentsitrust.com. realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Glenn Beck no, Program. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go to John in Vermont. Hello, John. You're on the Glenn Beck Program. Glenn, I sympathize with a lot of what you're saying, but I think you're missing the boat on a couple points. One, the, the convention itself is a deliberative body. I know. It's got to be able to react to changing conditions. Uh, seems like, according to what you guys are saying, uh, if the Democrats... Uh, Hillary's indicted, they should still go ahead and nominate her because she's presumed innocent. With well, you guys, wait, and many of us have recognized that's a little bit different, Trump, but well, the vast the majority of Americans have not realized how much of a racial uh, overtone there is and how big his comments on the judge are. No, and I, I think... I don't think they're any worse yeah, there's no five other things he said. Yeah, I mean, he, is, he has not changed his personality. The complaint coming out of the Republicans is that they expected him to change. And we had said all the whole time, he's not going to change. And if he does change for the primary or for the election, he'll be right back to his old self when he's in office. This is not new information, and it is very different than a criminal charge. That's, that's, that's a whole different thing. I, I, I just don't like what he says. Because I think the, the, the reaction in the public to the racial overtones of these comments is much, is, is huge. And I think so what's no, happening is people are so. now beginning to really see the full Donald Trump. Admittedly, it's late. But I think, and I understand the difference between a criminal and not, but right. this is a huge thing with the public. And this is a deliberative body. It's not just a rubber yeah, I, stamp. I'm not saying that they can't do it. I have just been on the record from the very beginning. They shouldn't do it. Um, They should have spoken out a lot earlier. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. governor of uh, Utah is Gary Herbert. And, uh, you know, I don't we're not buddies, but I would consider him a friend uh, and a and a good guy. 
um, I, I don't know how popular he is, and I don't follow the state politics at all. Actually, had that I'm that number in here. Uh, if you want it, I, I did see something that it was it was bothersome to me, um, where uh, he said you know he needed to raise money for his election, so he was open to meeting at any time. Uh, with a special interest group, and you know, you you meet with me, and your quote, I think the quote was, uh, "We're not going to hear." So want. again, we're not going to agree on everything, but if nothing else, we'll give you the results you want. End quote. Really disturbing uh, comment. Now, Jonathan Johnson is uh, the uh, chairman of the board at Overstock.com. I want to give full disclosure: Overstock is a uh, sponsor of. The Blaze, I'm some of the programs on The Blaze, uh, but I've not spoken to Jonathan before, and that doesn't play a role in this interview, But because I've heard good things about him, and I wanted to hear uh, what he has to say about running for governor of Utah. Hello, Jonathan, how are you? I'm great, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. Very good. Tell me what the difference is between you and Gary Johnson. Gary Herbert. Or, Gary, Gary Herbert, sorry, Gary Herbert. Yeah, the, well... You know, he is a career politician, been in office uh, for 26 years, two terms as our governor. Uh, I think he's looked to bring the federal government more into Utah's lives, whether it was through bringing us Common Core uh, or proposing Medicaid expansion. Uh, I'm a big believer that the government that governs closest to the people serves the people best. My goal will be to makes Utah more self-reliant, get the federal government out of our lives, and then also to push the power away from Salt Lake uh, down closer to the individuals and the families. So, uh, Jonathan, I, I know a lot of people at Overstock. We have never met or, or spoken, at least that I recall. Um, but the, everybody I speak to there it has this free market, libertarian, almost libertarian attitude uh, and all of them can talk about road to serfdom. Are you cut from that same cloth? We, yeah, I mean, I tell you, uh, road to serfdom, uh, free to choose, uh, the law, these are all books that are on my shelf and that are dog-eared and, and that I've read carefully. And I think Overstock has those kind of people because uh, we understand how the free market works. We understand how technology uh, can change lives. We've been part of what we think is a technology revolution uh, as an e-commerce pioneer. We know the free market works, and uh, I would like to see the free market work better uh, in Utah. You know, most people wouldn't know this, but Utah has the 13th highest licensure burden uh, of any uh, state in the country. I saw that. I saw that. And, and explain that, because I, I read a story on that a couple of weeks ago or last week, and I, that blew me away. Because here's so, a state that understands, I thought, understood, you know, individual liberty, and it's not that way at all. No, it's something like 40% of uh, people who work in Utah have to be licensed in their profession. And that goes, uh, you know, everywhere from general contractors and handymen to people that braid uh, and, and color hair. And you know, I'm a big believer that uh, the, the free market uh, will weed out uh, people that are providing bad products or bad services, and we let the free market do its job and not have government regulation in place, particularly uh, when it's a result of crony capitalism, big lobbyists, 
uh, trying to protect their industries. We've had a, a real problem in Utah. Tesla cannot sell uh, cars uh, direct to Utahns because we can't. They can't open a dealership here because of uh, outdated uh, dealership laws. Okay, so wow. Jonathan, we have that, that same too. problem in Texas. We think it is. We we fought hard Rages. as as individuals here in Texas, trying to as individuals lobby uh, the uh, the the uh, state uh, politicians to get them to to stop that. We think it's incredible that Texas is doing it. But what we found here in Texas is it a lot of the big big money comes from those car dealerships to the to the elected officials and you're just not going to break them up. And so that well, that blocks people like Tesla out of the market entirely. Which I think goes right back to the quote you read from Governor Herbert at, at the at the beginning of this interview. He he suffers a 10 percentage point loss to me at our state convention and days later uh calls uh, two dozen lobbyists into the poshest private club in Utah and tells them, I need you to parade your clients in front of me. Give me checks. And he says, we're not going to agree on everything, but if nothing else, we'll give you the results you want. Uh, you know, what you're describing with with car dealerships in Texas uh, is, is what we have with our governor, who has instituted uh, a pay-to-play system. And that shouldn't be the Utah way. It shouldn't be the way anywhere. So tell me about um, two things. Let, let me start with um, we have, I think, nine federal lawsuits here in Texas against the United States government. The government has so overstepped its bounds in really dramatic and frightening fashion. And if they, if you lose in the Supreme Court, I mean, I don't know what Texas is going to do, and I don't know what the states are going to do. Um, tell me about your um, willingness to stand up to the federal government with, with the federal government and particularly like the NSA sitting right there in your backyard. Yeah, well, this, is, this federal overreach is a huge issue in the West and in Utah in particular. We have two-thirds of the land in Utah, 31 million-plus acres, are owned and restrictively managed uh, by the federal government. And I'm not talking about the national parks, which are national treasures, but I'm talking about Bureau of Land Management land and U.S. Forest Service land that is managed in such a way that our rural counties are really suffering. And we've got one rural county that declared an economic state of emergency because the federal government is giving none of the locals access to land that for decades they've been able to ranch on uh, or log or do other things. And I'm willing, uh, you know, I think we do have to stand up to that, up to and including suing the federal government to transfer the land so that the state can own it and the state can manage it uh, as local. Local control is almost always better uh, than mm-hmm. some faraway bureaucrat sitting uh, in a marble uh, a marbled so, hall or a cubicle. So, Jonathan, here's the thing. I agree with the um, with the rights of the Bundys, let's say, for the for their ranch and for what was up in Oregon. I agree with the state getting that land back and the federal government backing off. Um, however, I didn't agree with the way they were pursuing it. 
by, you know, coming to a gunfight with guns. Um, uh, you know, I'm just more of a Martin Luther King guy. What, where do you stand on that? Well, I understand the frustration that was in southern Nevada and up in Oregon, and it's because uh, political leaders in those states aren't willing to fight uh, the federal government. I don't condone. Uh, I don't condone getting in, a, in a, a standoff with guns. But that's why I'm running for governor, because I, I want to be the leader, and I will be the leader, uh, who stands up for those people and uh, brings those fights in the courts so that those tensions don't bubble up and, and turn into uh, situations like we have tragic situations like we had up in Oregon. Jonathan, wh- where do you stand on Common Core? Uh, governor Herbert seemed to sort of take both sides of that issue at various times. Where are you on it? Well, I tell you, I'm leading from behind on this. I have been uh, anti-Common Core from the moment I announced mm. my uh, candidacy. Uh, Governor Herbert promoted uh, Common Core, mm-hmm. brought it to this state six years ago, defended it uh, until uh, a 10 percentage point loss in our state convention when he <laughs> said, uh, you know, okay, we'll try and get out of it. But, but my view is deathbed religion rarely sticks if a person... Uh, <laughs> gets better. And, you know, this, I'm not running a politically expedient campaign. I'm running a principled campaign. I've been against Common Core since the beginning. So we're catching up on this, too. You beat him at the convention by 10 percentage points? I did. I did. That's unheard of. And so is there a runoff now? Is that is that what's happening? So, yeah, we have a primary, and okay. it's in 18 days on June 28th. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, I think it's very winnable uh, as we do our polling, uh, particularly polling among uh, likely GOP primary voters. uh, We're neck and neck with a sitting governor who has significant advantages with earned media and uh, fundraising. Uh, But I think Utahns are ready for a change. Uh, They're ready for fresh ideas. And frankly, they're ready for conservative ideas and someone who will lead on based on principle and not political expediency. I will tell you, when you look at the poll numbers of Trump and Clinton uh, and the Libertarian uh, for president, you see that Utah is it does not like any of the choices that are in front of them for political, uh, you know, for, for, for president. And I think Utah is starving mm-hmm. for something for new. They're starving. They're starving for not only, you know, Utah is a is a state where it was a state that was made fun of for most of its life. It is now becoming a little mini Silicon Valley. It is a it is a cutting edge state. And if you can combine a cutting edge small government attitude with what Utah already has, you've got one of the best states in the nation. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I think Utah needs someone who understands how not just jobs, but careers are created. And that's what I've done at Overstock. I think we need someone who understands how technology works to change live, lives and who understands leadership. And you mentioned the presidential candidates. Uh, I think with this crop of presidential candidates, the governor's offices in all 50 states will be much more important because we're going to continue to see federal overreach, uh, I think, and we're going to need governors who have, you know, who don't just want to be the face of their state, but who will be the backbone, a stiff backbone for 
freedom, for liberty, and for state and individual rights. That's who I'm going to be. Uh, Jonathan Johnson, candidate for the governor of Utah, and a very different candidate than you've really seen, I think, in in most states of the union. You also clerked for the U- Utah Supreme Court, court, uh, court for a while? I did. I have to admit, Glenn, that I'm a recovering lawyer about eight years clean. <laughs> Well, eight years, keep coming, coming back, keep working the program. Uh, Jonathan, I appreciate it. Thank you, so, thank you so much. How do people get involved if they want to help? Uh, our website is HireJJ.com. That's Hire like you'd hire an employee. Uh, we've got a, a donate button. We've got a volunteer uh-huh. button. There's a lot of info. Uh, we need people to help. We've got uh, just 18 days before the primary. HireJJ.com. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. HireJJ.com. Jonathan Johnson uh, running. HireJJ. I will tell you the governors are going to become really important. Paramount. Yeah, no matter which one's president. We had had people um, that were um, in the studio audience yesterday. And, uh, you know, people had moved from all over the country to come here to Texas. Some were from different states. And the question came up. Will the state stand? And I said, you know, I think I think Texas is in trouble. I think there is a there is a real undercurrent of uh, sameness, the GOP sameness, which is really hurting Texas. And it would be nice to see Utah take a leading position on on change and common sense constitutional change and start leading leading the way. Because I think the governors are going to be incredibly important. Uh, Jonathan Johnson for Governor HireJJ.com. Uh, Back in a minute. Glenn Beck. Listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. I was up all night. Last night, slept very little because I was thinking about when my second daughter, Hannah, was born. Mary was born and I was quite young. and I think I was probably 23 when my second daughter was born. And, and I remember the, the week leading up to her birth, I thought, I can't love another child as much as I love this one. There's no way I can love this new child as much as I love Mary. And I... Weird. I and and it's not, it's just a strange thing that you go through until you have a second child, and I was up all night thinking about the things that I thought that night because my daughter Hannah went into the hospital this morning to have my second grandchild, and I know what she's feeling, and I know what her husband is feeling today. Pray for the ten fingers and ten toes, or. Pray for us to see uh, the blessings that we have, no matter how many toes or fingers. Have a great weekend.
This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.